Welcome back to Lakes Woods and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you, 1380 KLIZ The Fan. Also available at most uh, podcast locations, including Podcast One, and on our Facebook page, Lakes Woods and Iron Facebook page. The show is posted there as well. All that courtesy of uh, MillsGM.com, uh, home of the 2020 GMCs on the 2020 Buick. So thanks to them for, for that. Chris Foley with me. And, uh, Chris, we uh, just second week of the show and uh, getting ready to go and kind of uh, uh, getting used to working remotely. And uh, <laughs> yeah. not seeing your smiling face in here with me today. But we'll get through till the, till we get a go-ahead uh, uh, from, from those uh, with more knowledge than we have. <laughs> That's right. It, it's it's a good good alternative, and it's good uh, good to be back on the air. And uh, boy, spring has sr- certainly sprung, and uh, I think everybody's anxious to uh, to get out on the golf course. Yeah, we do have a chance to get out in the yard at least with uh, nice weather. Sixty degrees yesterday, I think, as we talked today. Out in the yard with uh, e- even with like plastic golf balls and things like that. Is there things you can do, Chris? Uh, uh, mostly just kind of getting your body warmed up, I suppose, in golf, some kind of golf condition. Yeah, no question. I mean, you know, depending on how big your yard is, eating, you know, real golf balls and just uh, hitting some chip shots and pit shots around the yard. And depending on what you've done over the winter, just kind of getting loose and, and, you know, finding out where the ground is again. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. You know, that's, that's the way I always like to have people start anyway, is just hitting little pitch shots and getting yourself hitting it solid and, uh, you know, work into the bigger swings. You don't want the full swing uh, wedge, you know, where you're you're hitting the 50 yard wedge straight up in the air because there's a, a possibility of blading the golf ball this time of year. <laughs> and, uh, that is that's if, for sure. If you're pointed toward a neighbor's home or something, you know. <laughs> you know, there there's been some uh, people on all kinds of great social media posts on uh, you know backyard golf courses in the last couple of weeks. It's uh, it's been fun <laughs> to see. Yeah. Well, you've raised three young golfers. Any broken windows at the Foley household? You know, we uh, we're, we're fortunate to live on on Madden's uh, Pine Beach West Golf Course, so we've got a, a big fairway and a couple greens right in our backyard. Yeah, and, hit it the uh, other way, guy, kids. Yeah. yeah. So uh, <laughs> yeah, they've been uh, they've been pretty lucky to grow up with uh, with that right in the backyard. So. <laughs> but yeah, really getting the uh, getting the swing in shape and the body semi in shape. We're wondering where we should hear from the governor this week, perhaps, uh, if things might open up a little more. It seems like there might be a, a silver lining, just judging by some things that are kind of leaked out. But uh, he's certainly talking about exercise and those kind of things. But uh, uh, walking might be an option early in the year, so probably a guy should be out walking, guy or girl who wants to get on the golf course, and just in case that's our option early in the season. You know, the, the, there are definitely a lot of negatives associated with this uh, shelter-in-place, but you know, some of the positives are definitely, you know, the, an opportunity to get out and walk and some exercise and ride your bike and, and all those type of things. So uh, it's a great time to take advantage of being able to do that. A lot of people have a little more downtime on their hands and uh, get outside, get some fresh air and, and uh, you know, get in shape for golf. One thing you and uh, David Hughes are working on from uh, Big Stone Therapies is uh, some stretching and that kind of thing for golf. You're going to put together kind of a uh, mini series on that. And uh, can people see any of those yet, Chris? Yeah, we uh, the first one came out last week on uh, uh, on my social media channels on on Facebook and and uh, in Twitter and which are uh, Chris Foley Golf. And so we had kind of had an introductory one uh, last week and every Thursday that we'll be releasing a new one probably through 
Uh, we've got got through the, through August right now, and we'll we'll film some more once we can get outside. Good. Uh, some great exercises. You can go back and look at the ones we we've posted, and um, kind of a good way to get yourself ready and, and continue getting in golf shape for the season and, and throughout the season. Sure, and you choose to be an optimist, which I try I try to choose to be. So we're going to be playing golf before too long. You know, I I think they can figure out a lot of the basics of it. Yeah, I think we'll. Uh, uh, I don't know if it'll be next week that we'll be out there, but I, 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 I'm, I'm very hopeful that by about May first we'll be able to uh, be out playing and uh, you know just being careful with all the social distancing sure. uh, policies. So, yeah, exactly right. I think so too. Uh, guests, uh, great guests. You've got a connection with Nick Bradley. That should be fun. Uh, kind of as you had described him before, we went on a renaissance man. He's uh, Quite a unique, uh, a unique teacher and, uh, and motivational type guy. Yeah, I'm really anxious to have Nick on the show, and we'll talk more about him. But he's he's a fantastic, you know, elite level coach, and uh, has had a lot of involvement with the Ryder Cup, and he was an author. And so it's going to be great to have him on the show. We'll have a second part of our interview with uh, Trip Bowden and his dad, Doc Bowden, with their uh, tales of uh, kind of uh, uh, tales from Augusta. Trip growing up at Augusta, and Doc uh, becoming the kind of the unofficial official doctor of uh, Augusta. Uh, they were just great. I, I thought with the switch to the fall, uh, a lot of the network's talking about it, and we had the opportunity to talk to Doc. He was already kind of setting us up for what uh, play is going to be like at Augusta now in November. Yeah, no question. If, yeah, if people hadn't didn't get to hear our first show, they can go back and uh, listen to that on the podcast or in our archives. But uh, uh, Tripp and Doc just are wonderful storytellers and Looking forward to part two this week. Yeah, it should be, should be good fun. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. The fans streaming at lakeswoodsandirons.com. Thanks to our sponsor, Mills GM, the home of affordable luxury, the uh, 2020 Buicks. We uh, have an interview now with uh, Trip Bowden and his father, Doc. We had part one last week. This is part two of Trip's early days as the first white caddy at Augusta and some of his uh, memorable uh, loops and also uh, Doc Bowden with some fabulous memories and some of the uh, big names and interesting experiences he's had all these years at Augusta. Trip, what, what, what year did you start caddying at Augusta National and how many years were you uh, there? Well, I, I graduated uh, in 89 with a... Uh, Degree in philosophy and minors in uh, English. I'm sorry, degree in English and minors in philosophy and psychology. And uh, as much fun as those degrees were to get, you're either going to teach, yeah. but I'm way too, too big of a bullshitter to teach, or you can <laughs> just drink beer and stare at the window all summer long. And I was really good at doing that. And uh, <laughs> let's just say the dear old dad was not too pleased with uh, my higher learning and then what I was doing with it. <laughs> so he said, Why don't you give Freddie a call and see if he's got some ideas for you? And I caddied some, you know, just in college, just off and on, kind of like for beer money for fun. And then, uh, call Freddie up and he we start talking and he says how about you come in here and caddy and I said yeah I've done that he said I know I mean for real like every day I said I never thought about that and I said sure why not and um I went out there in, in October I got my badge and, and everything and uh, this was 1989 and uh, I was the first full-time um white caddy at Augusta for four seasons and it was great I loved every minute of it Doc was uh trip ever on your bag no, but I was on his. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 
see, Tripp, uh, you'll have to help me with my memory. Tripp uh, it was a good player, and he would try, try to qualify for some USGA events, uh, particularly U.S. Amateur, and uh, uh, I caddied for him in some of those qualifiers, but that was about it. Uh, probably it's a good it's a good thing. I mean, I, I, can't, I was a good caddy for the qualifier, even though we didn't make it, uh, but uh, I kept my mouth shut. But I kept chewing my tongue because I, I was really wanting to give him some advice. <laughs> but that would have been the last thing he needed. But, uh, but I, I, I thought that uh, that qualifier tripper for the amateur, I, I thought I was a good caddy because I, I did. I was 36 holes, too, uh, which is also a religious experience uh, uh, when you're anything other than a teenager or in your early 20s. But um, that was that was the uh, only time there. Uh, Triple. Were there what were some of your favorite favorite uh, loops at the national? Oh, wow, there's so many. Um, I think probably my favorite was uh was uh, caddying for uh, Dan Marino, and uh, he's a very good player, by the way, extremely good player. He broke eighty both days from the back tees. But uh, I was kind of one of those caddies where I would say, okay, I'm trip bound, and if he would have said I'm Mr. Marino, then he's Mr. Marino. But he was, oh, I'm Dan. I said, cool. So it's Dan and Trip hanging out for two days. The Gus National, a very nice guy, very friendly. We're shooting bull, and and we're coming down uh, 14. This is the second day. I'll never forget it. It's January, and it's absolutely gorgeous out. And I said, I said, Dan, I said, can you, can you imagine a better place to be than right here, right now? And he stops and looks at me like I got three heads. And he bends down because <laughs> he's six, like I said, six five, and I'm five eight. And he goes, Hell yes. I'm thinking, where where could that possibly be? And he goes, the Super Bowl, you dumbass. <laughs> I said, well, you know, I'm not in the Hall of Fame football, so I wouldn't think about the Super Bowl. You know, I would think about something else. So he, he, he was a really good guy. He's a character, too. But uh, Dan Quayle was an interesting loop. Um, he had the Secret Service with him. And, oh, sure. Uh, yeah. And I, I was only one of, one of four caddies that didn't have a sheet. So I got to go out with, with Quayle and his group. And uh, he was a good player, too. But we get on uh, 14, and I'm, in, I'm a snacker, so I've got my pockets full of food and stuff like that, and the Secret Service guys didn't like me going in my pockets a lot. So they finally come up and say, you need to eat that damn sandwich and get it over with. So I did. I'm all nerved up eating the sandwich. And then there's Quail, gets driving, lays up, and then he chunks his third shot and one hops it into the creek. We're all looking at each other, and he yells out, Mother, except <laughs> followed by Teresa. <laughs> Thankfully. And I went, man, how cool was that? The DP just dropped the F-bomb. And so I go over there kind of like giving him a little pat. And see the service guy jumped in front of me like, uh-uh, you ain't touching him. I was like, oh, just cool, just cool, just cool. And he said, you pretend you didn't hear that. I said, hear what? <laughs> I mean, there's probably so many, I mean, the, the titans of industry and the athletes and the, the people that come out there. It's just an amazing list of names. But what's really cool about caddying out there is that, you know, for four and a half hours, they need you. And where else in life are those people going to need someone like you know myself at the time? Sure, that was yeah. really cool, and, and it was it was a rare rare occasion when you carried carried for somebody who wasn't wasn't just cool. In fact, uh, Freddie taught me how to how to work tips. Um, you can't really actually ask for one because it's against the rules, but you can inquire. There's certain things you can do. So one time I was out there caddying for this group, and it was this uh, Asian fellow, and uh, he couldn't speak English, but his name was Bob. Turns out he owns Pebble Beach at the time. Not bad. We get on number two. <laughs> it's not not too bad. Eh? We get on number two, and he uh, he asked me if he can smoke out of the Gus National. I'm thinking, of course you can. I said, if you do it discreetly and hand me the butt. He goes, oh, it's all. So the first butt he handed me was wrapped in a hundred dollar bill. 
<laughs> that was a good day. <laughs> that, that was called working assistant just a little bit. You were inquiring. But Doc, uh, you've had similar type relationships with people. Chris and I have talked about it many times on the show and, and just together. How many uh, great people you meet in the game of golf, how many relationships you carry with you for the rest of your life, and both you guys, uh, uh, while Augusta has certainly been part of the storybook of your lives. No, no doubt about it. Uh, lifelong friendships. Uh, you you mentioned one, before, I guess, before we went on the air, Mike Shannon, who was the assistant pro out there, one of the early assistants that Bob and Dave had, and that relationship has gone on now, like I mentioned earlier, 40 years, and we stay in touch a lot. And uh, Mike's down, still down in Florida, uh, teaching down there, uh, and he has quite a following there as a uh, uh, as a putting coach and a putting teacher in short game. Uh, but they, they, this, the list is so long, and it's a, it's not necessarily celebrities, uh, but it's, it's some of the amateurs that have come, uh, particularly Jim Holt Grieve, who won the first mid-amateur and uh, came and played in five Masters. And now he, he and I are dear friends. And in fact, uh, I, I officiated at the marriage of his wife, he and his wife, uh, so they live in St. Louis now, and uh, so I mean the the list goes on and on and on. What one of the uh, interesting, more interesting of of all of that? We have not become long life friends, fast friends either. Is Bill Murray, and uh, very quickly at the, when they close the club every year, they let people who have helped them out, worked out their gallery scores, a lot of different people. Uh, play and i've been the starter out there for that for about 50 years <laughs> and after that's done the course is open for other play and uh, bill murray had been there as a guest for one of the folks uh, at the club and uh, and they, they, they do, well bill wants to play another nine do you want to play with him i said sure and so we uh, played the, the back nine and uh got over to uh, the tee at number 12 and uh, uh looking around with Bill Emerson, one of my friends was playing with us. I said, Bill, where is where's, uh, Murray? He said, I don't know. We've lost him. <laughs> looking around, where's Murray? Where's Murray? We can't find him. All we see is uh, one of the workers uh, mowing the side of the bank uh, on the 11th green. If you'll remember, the 11th green has a pond uh, to the left of it there, and it's sloped very acutely down on that side. And you have to take one of those mowers to kind of hang around your neck and you suspend them and they, uh, and they mow from, from, from an angle rather than pushing it down in there. And uh, we were looking around and I said, my goodness, that's Murray over there mowing the grass. <laughs> I said, what? I said, yeah, that, he was over there uh, and he'd, give, he'd given the guy who was mowing the grass 20 bucks to let him mow the grass. <laughs> and he he got his hat, and he—I mean, it's just like Caddyshack. Sure, uh, he, he's over there mowing the grass. I said, "Well, uh, where is my camera?" And unfortunately, I did wasn't a touch, just a regular old camera, not a total photo, telephoto lens. But I got—I do have that particular picture. So, uh, <laughs> yep, my, my picture. conclusion of that after that uh, experience, that that those nine holes was, this is one of the luckiest people in the world, is Bill Murray. Uh, because he gets paid huge amounts of money just for being himself when he gets up in the morning. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah, he is just who he is. Uh, and unfortunately, we didn't exchange cards and become fast friends. That was uh, 
that was the last time I actually had ever seen him in person. But he, he was a delightful companion, golfing companion, and uh, just talking a mile a minute. Uh, and but it, that was that, that's one of the more just out of the clear blue sky, a, a lasting memory experiences. Uh, and that was about we were all much younger then, about thirty years ago. Could Bill play a little bit, Doc? Yeah, he could play. No, 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 he, no, he, no, he, he, uh, uh, I, he loves the game. And, uh, and, you know, watching him at the Pebble Beach uh, Pro-Am and everything, he's, uh, he's still got him a, a pretty good little swing going there. Now he's got some age on him like the rest of us. And, uh, uh, but uh, he is something else. And, boy, he is a crowd man. Boy, the crowd loves him. And, yes. uh, why not? <laughs> hey, Pop, tell, tell, him about, uh, in- tell the boys about uh, meeting my good friend Ben Crenshaw last year at Cypress. Oh, uh, yeah. How about uh, meeting people? Yeah, well, we were uh, we were playing Cypress Point and uh, and we're coming down, I guess, number ten, and uh, I I was just walking was along, enjoying the beauty of it, and uh, then I looked over, coming over, walking over number nine with a group of people, no, not playing. I said, "That looks familiar," and. I walked over there, and I said, and it was Ben Crenshaw, uh, and I walked over, and as I got closer, he looked at me, and he started walking to me and everything, uh, and I had, uh, I, I had met him before, but uh, he said, Doc, I said, yeah, he said, oh, and I, and I immediately said, well, I'm uh, Trip Bowden's father, he said, yeah, I know that, because he, the trip in one of his uh, memorable, uh, memorable rounds describes uh, his uh, uh story with uh, Ben after Ben won the Bastards. Anyway, we, we talked and talked and talked and, you know, we got the pictures and that. And then he was there looking at a redesign for uh, 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 portions of uh, Cypress Point. Uh, he said he wasn't going to do too much to it. You you can't improve on the crown jewels too much. But anyway, <laughs> back at Clubhouse, he, uh, we were coming and uh, he, uh, he was out there and uh, he was going up to up to the putting green. I think he's going to play, and uh, I I had uh, I, he has an eighty eight oh two with the old Wilson, and I I do too. Actually, I had my eighty eight thirteen with me, and uh, walked over to him. And I said, "Man, let's swap putters there." And he said, "Well, why?" He said, "Oh, looked at it. He said, "Man, this is great. This is eighty eight thirteen. I said, "Yeah, that won the uh, the senior club championship at Westlake in Augusta, Georgia." <laughs> and he said, "Well, let's ride here." Won the '97 Masters in Augusta, Georgia. I've been '95. Anyway, which, whichever Masters it was, because he won two. Uh, and I said, "Okay, you put me in my place." Uh, so there you have that. But he, Ben Crenshaw is one of the really, really nice, nice people in golf. Uh, uh, you know, it, 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 some of the pros get a bad rap because they they don't really react to people. Uh, you know, with, when you've got Arnold Palmer as the as the pinnacle, as the pinnacle of charisma and a people person and a, a man for all people, uh, and then the other pros can't live up to that. But uh, Ben Crenshaw, I'd put him right up there. With he's just uh, such a nice guy, and he, boy, he loves the game. And you can't stump him on a history question. <laughs> he knows everything there is to know about the history of golf. Uh, so anyway, that's a. Another really uh, great. Let's see, what we, we could go on. Uh, your trip wrote a book called Memorable Rounds. That could have about a hundred volumes to it with people writing 
their stories. This great, great game of golf that we all love so much and just uh, just meant so much to so to for me particularly all my life. Uh, and it's just uh, it's one you can still play. I'm almost eighty, and uh, you know, still out there swinging away at it and just enjoying the heck out of it. Doc, of those fifty-seven masters, can you say there? It was there one that stands out as your favorite. Well, uh, uh, well, it's favorites. Oh, Lordy, well, Arnie's last one. That was because uh, I had had the opportunity to meet him on numerous occasions, uh, and, and uh, well. It, <sighs> Can I divert to another little Arnie story? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when uh, my wife and I got married, this her day. I know this one. Uh, we uh, we have good friends down in Florida, and uh, so well, I want you to go down and meet these friends and all that. And uh, and so then they said, "Well, you got to come down. Oh, you got to play Bay Hill." And I said, "Oh, that's great because I never played." So. Uh, uh, says he tries to play golf just to be with me. I mean, we, she's not as idiotically seriously about it as I am. So we go down and uh, play play Bay Hill, and afterwards we're sitting in the lounge uh, recapping the round, and the bartender says, oh, Arnie's out on the uh, out on the putting green. And this is uh, about, oh, let's see, we've been married 28 years, so it's 28, 29 years ago. Uh, so I said, oh. I have been a member of Arnie. Oh, I got to go out. I got just got to shake his hand because before I'd had a chance to actually uh, be with him very much, which would happen over the ensuing almost 30 years. Uh, anyway, uh, I go out there and he's got about 15 putters. He's out there putting and he'll take it and he'll step on it and bang it on the ground and all he's trying to get. He was always messing with his clubs. When he finishes putting and he and a friend of his, uh, uh, walking over toward me, and so I'm, I'm making a beeline because there ain't nobody out there but Arnie and this fellow, and uh, and Sissy, and so I said, Arnie, excuse me for interrupting you. I know you're probably in a hurry, but my name is Joe Bowden. I'm from Augusta. I've been a member of Arnie's Army uh, all these many years. I was there in '58 when you won the first Masters, and, uh, and so I'm gushing, slobbering all over myself, <laughs> and, and you know he. He shakes my hand, and, uh, and you talk about a handshake. I don't know if any of you have ever had the chance to shake hands with Arnold Palmer, but that was a grip, baby. Uh, I mean, and he, uh, he he was very kind. He listened to me slobber and everything. He, and then he, he was very appreciative. Uh, he said, oh, thanks, uh, Joe. Uh, just appreciate, I appreciate all the support. You know, Augusta's my favorite place, and y'all have been so kind to me and all that. He said, uh, well, look, I got to run, and, uh, you know, I, I want to see you in October. Yeah, I'm looking for you in October. I mean, excuse me, in April. And I said, oh, thanks, Artie, thanks. And, and he's going, oh, hey, goodbye, Artie. Have a great year. Looking forward to you winning that. And the whole time uh, I'm standing there slobbering all over Artie, I failed to introduce the woman I'd been married to for about a month. <laughs> <laughs> And she, she didn't, uh, and, 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 and boy, it's cost me dearly ever since. <laughs> she has more diamonds and jewels and things. I said, holy man. But she, the, the dear, sweet, soul, kind, loving wife she is, she understood exactly uh, 
you know, what a hero worshiper of, of Arnold Palmer I was. So she has forgiven me that uh, failure to introduce her, but she has not forgotten. It. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, back at, uh, at the memorable Masters Golly, Bob, at, uh, so many of them, and it's the ones that it's the last one for, like Crenshaw and uh, and Arnie and Jack uh, and uh, and Gary, uh, all of those times, those those times, and and it's fun, it, and, it, and the crowds are huge with them, and what every, it doesn't matter what they do, if they uh, knock in a curling thirty footer for a bogey, the crowd goes nuts. Uh, because they they know this is it. They know what these uh, these greats of the game have given us. Uh, but I guess it was '67. It's going to be one that sticks in my mind. It was uh, the third round, and uh, uh, it was be Ben Hogan's last. And I had followed. I, I'm a Hogan uh, fan too, but I followed him every step of the way uh, when he shot. Uh, uh, 66, I think it was 66 on Saturday and got himself into contention and he's uh, no longer a spring chicken but on the back nine he hit every green in regulation uh, and within 15 feet of the pin and made uh, six of those putts for birdie and so he shot 30 and for him to do that and you could tell how he was hurt you know he had his uh, injuries from his automobile accident in uh, I guess it was 51 52 uh we're really t- telling on him that many years later uh but the, i mean the crowd was massive and he got within about two or three four shots of the lead but then uh didn't hold on to that for the final round but to see that that, that great great man that mm. great swinger of the golf club and shot maker uh but I, I i was i was close to him you could get really close i had binoculars but he his putter was visibly shaking on every putt, and it, it and he was, uh, you can tell that he was just trying to figure out when to take it back. Uh, but he was, if he could have buried every hole that on that back nine, but that one too. But there's so many, I I, I could go on and on and on. You're listening to Lakes Woods and Irons on 1380 KLIZ with Trip Bowden and his father Doc and uh, memories from Augusta. Man, where else do you get a segment with uh, Dan Marino and Dan Quayle, Bill Murray, Ben Crenshaw, Arnie Palmer, Ben Hogan? <laughs> that's that's uh, really good stuff. And remember, you can pick up a copy of any of uh, Tripp's books at tripbowden.com. That's T-R-I-P-P-B-O-W-E-N, tripbowden.com. And uh, Tripp will autograph a copy for you as well. You can find them there at tripbowden.com. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ, streaming at lakeswoodsandirons.com and also available not only on our Facebook page, but also at uh, most podcast locations under Lakes, Woods, and Irons. Chris uh, Foley with us, of course, and uh, Chris, special guest, if you'd uh, do the honors and uh, introduce, please. Yeah, we got a great guest this week, Nick Bradley, who is uh, an elite-level golf coach in, in North Carolina, by the way, of, uh, of England. And uh, Nick, I, I always I always think of Nick as kind of a Renaissance man in golf, and I've followed his career for a long time. But he, uh, you know, he's taught a number of uh, tour winners on on the PGA Tour and the, and the World Tours, including Justin Rose, Nick Faldo. He was a consultant for the 200, 2014 and 2016 Ryder Cup teams, 
He's an author of a couple fantastic books, Kinetic Golf and The Seven Laws of the Golf Swing. Uh, we're going to talk about a new ebook he's got out, 50 Essays. Uh, and he's one of the best followers, golf followers on Twitter. And um, if you're on Twitter and if during the pandemic here, he's just put out some great content on Twitter. So welcome, uh, welcome to the show, Nick. Thanks very much for having me, guys. It's a pleasure in these uh, challenging times and uncharted waters. So let's let's try and keep each other buoyant. Exactly, <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> trying to keep it as pos- positive as possible until we can all uh, uh, get back out there on a semi-regular basis. Yeah, Nick, you've, you've you've been putting some great stuff out on Twitter the last couple of weeks. You know, just some great tips and some great content in general. Yeah, I mean it. It. it you know, I'm a very creative guy. If you, you know anyone's ever seen the Seven Laws of the Golf Swing or Connect Golf, you know you know that my imagination, really, when it comes to golf, really doesn't have any sort of like limit. Um, so, uh, you know, when it when it comes to a little bit of boredom, you know, I do my I do my mornings work and consultancy with uh, some of the business consultants that I I work with and the executives, and then kind of like it's golf time in the afternoon. I mean, there's Speaking of kinetic golf, Nick, it's one of my favorite books in my big golf library, and it's got some fantastic pictures in it. Tell us a little bit about that book. Yeah, so really, the, the first book I brought out was Seven Laws of the Golf Swing, which is really how to build a golf swing. Uh, it took took many of the aspects of the best players who have ever lived and lumped it all together. But kinetic golf is really about how to play the game of golf. So it's got images of feeling, images of swing images of feelings and images of strategy on how to how to uh, mentally kind of like navigate your way around a golf course so uh, but each book is not a lesson in kind of like loads of words and loads of paragraphs loads of chapters you know each page each piece of instruction is accompanied by a really powerful sort of movie poster image. So, um, you know, 85% of our stimulus is visual and uh, imaginative. Um, and so, you know, I really, I really play to that. So if I, can, if I can reduce three paragraphs down to a strong image, then that's what I'm going to do. The pictures are fantastic. And tell me, did you do the artwork for those or somebody else? You, you created no, so, that? Or... Yeah, so the process is exactly exactly what i wanted from the image and then i uh, i would basically forward that over to my guy in london and we'd probably bounce it back and forth maybe two or three times and then we've got it so yeah i do actually create um all of the images and all of the photographs all of the artwork and direction i do i do a lot of that and then my guy lee he's called lee john rouse is a, is a beautiful guy uh, in london and uh, he he puts the finishing touches on it. Yeah, that's great stuff. Well, you've come out with a new book, an ebook called Fifty Essays, and yeah. um, I recently read it, and especially kind of in these times, it really applies to both your golf game and life in general. And it's a great read because it's it, just what it says. It's fifty essays. It's kind of your mentorship of different students. That's right. I think, you know, it, the golf swing is one thing, you know, and short game technique is one thing and putting is one thing, I think. But what ties it up, if you look at the best golfers in the world, I mean, well, let's just take Jack and Tiger. You know, their personal philosophy uh, toward the game of golf, their life and their competitive occupation. 
I mean, must have been remarkably different to 90% of, you know, the other playing pros out there. Uh, obviously, you get different gradients of that. And, you know, with Hogan with his nine majors, Trevino with his five, Faldo with his six. So, so you know, no one's got the license in it. But those particular guys definitely had a philosophy of life that um, superseded anything they did technically. Uh, I mean, Tiger won with three different golf swings. Jack, you know, uh, would, you wouldn't have said I had a perfect golf swing. So what I try to do in 50 essays is really, you know, lump together some of the, you know, 50 best lessons I've learned over 25 years of working with golfers I've taken to world number one, European number one, uh, Ryder Cup consultancies, etc. And other stuff in business, you know, like, you know, getting to know Ted Med uh, or Ted creator Richard Saul Werman really well and getting inside his head. So 50 essays is really 50 essential sort of strategies and philosophies that I've found to be successful over 25 years that, as, as you quite correctly say, they do apply to golf, but they equally apply to day to day living as well. You know, there are a couple of things that really resonated with me and uh, talk about talk about the eight steps of greatness. Yeah, so that was really born out of the fact that um, everyone's life um, and their sporting life is really a series of slumps and then peaks. And the, the real trick is to really shorten those cycles down. So, you know, you know when you're going into a slump. You know, I think most people that lose their careers in business, commerce, and sport, I think, I think you know, they don't know what the properties are when you're starting to go into a slump. So I, I cover those sort of the mechanics and the feelings of a slump, but also eight steps, which, you know, you don't have to chronologically follow them. You can jump in at any one of those points, but eight steps to really pull you out. I mean, the first one is really kind of like, you know, what I call kenosis, which is self-emptying. You know, the second one is energy creation, energy management. So when I look at people that are able to um, extricate themselves from any one of these slumps very quickly, they've either followed those eight steps either, you know, by blundering into them or they've actually, you know, created them and designed them. So it's it's taken me a while to figure it out, but... You know, I think it's one of the first essays actually in the in the new book where I talk about slumps and the fifth and the eight steps in order to to get back on track and shorten shorten those cycles down. And by the way, those cycles happen to everybody. You're not never ever going to get into a slump, and you're not ever never going to get into a downturn in your life. But it's recognizing what the signs are and then how to pull yourself out of the hole quickly. As a as a coach and a and a motivational speaker, it's interesting. Uh, if so, you've got maybe a large group of people in a motivational setting, and a, and, and golf is so much of an individual. But a lot of it's really kind of the same idea, isn't it? As far as visuals and motivation, and uh, I guess trying to find high ground when you can. You know, we're we're human beings after all, and I think our functionality, no matter what occupation, has similarities and. Uh, and threads that kind of run through everybody. And I think that, you know, even if you go back to the Victorian era in Britain, you know, that they were called visionaries. And they're visionaries because they can see beyond the current situation, uh, which we all need to do, by the way, right now. And um, so when you look at the human condition and who we are as humans first and then professionals second, no matter what that occupation is, uh, as I say, you know, there are 
there are certain things that we do. I mean, I, I, I can tell you, I mean, I've got clients now in the business world that range from a net worth of $650 million to $1.3 billion. And I can tell you that they have very similar personality traits. But then I've had tour players that have always struggled in their career, and they have always had similar character traits. So when you look at this kaleidoscope of what it is to be a human being, you know, if you've been in the game long enough, you can start to identify certain avenues and certain uh, behavioral traits that, uh, that people go into. Yeah, it's fascinating. I was interested in Nick Faldo because uh, he, you talked about Tiger and, and uh, Jack, of course. The, mm. Kind of the miracle of theirs was the longevity that they've been able to stay at such a high level. But Nick seemed to have that knack of when he had a chance, not many guys could finish like Faldo could finish. You could certainly make an argument that Norman was a better player. But when Faldo had a chance to finish, he seemed like he could do it all the time or many times. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, yeah, Nick Nick had the ability to um, really, really lock down his game coming down the stretch. So there wasn't going to be, there wasn't going to be many mistakes coming in, which I think is the first rule of winning uh, in major championships: is not to, not to blunder in the last nine holes. But then again, you know, he has such great mental fortitude and such great technique that. You know, when he needed to hit the shot at the time, and I'm particularly thinking about Muirfield in 92 at the Open when John Cook was um, was certainly ahead and then breathing down his neck and then Nick played some stellar shots coming in. Um, you know, he had the ability to hit the right shot at the right time. And I think that's a blend of being able to technically do it. So you're actually capable of playing a certain shot. Uh, but I also think it's, you know, strategically... You know, if you're if you're trying to play shots that aren't quite in your wheelhouse, then you know you're gonna you're gonna force an error down the line. And I think Nick Nick's strategy was to hit the shot that he knew he could hit, not necessarily the one that was perfect for that situation. So yes, I mean, he um, he's a he's a remarkable guy. I mean, his his golf intelligence is through the roof. Uh, you know, I did, did some work with him in 2018 prior to the Seniors Open at um, St. Andrews. And, you know, he can absorb really technical information. But just as soon as he's nailed that, he's into shot making. He's hitting, you know, low low draw, high fade. You know, he's hitting. so he goes from, you know, a mechanic to an artist and can really traverse those two areas quite, um, quite remarkably. There's not many pl- players who can make that switch, are there? No, you're either one or the other. I mean, in, in 50 Essays, the new book, I talk about the innate, the by design and the lost souls of golf. And golf seems to be um, golf seems to be one of those occupations at the professional game where people tend to be right. OK, I'm all in technical. I'm becoming, you know, I'm become a technical genius. And then, you know, when that they don't when they look pretty but don't score, then they say, right, that's it. I'm going fully into Rotella or fully into this mental approach. And yeah, they, they start to think better, but their technique wanes. So the answer, of course, is to have an, a, an appreciation of both of those worlds and become really dynamic in both of those worlds and learn how to switch one off while the other one's on and vice versa. That is that is the genius. I mean, you know, it's funny because Einstein, who is um, obviously known for his theory of relativity and obviously a genius at mathematics, 
you know, he actually came up with that theory of relativity when he was having a dream about being on a motorbike and throwing a banana at the speed of light and kind of like it catching. And Einstein said, imagination is more important than knowledge. And it's funny, when he died, they did a lobotomy, lobotomy on him and they found that the link between the right and left hemispheres of the brain was three times thicker than the average human being. <laughs> so I'm not saying that uh, Einstein would have been a great golfer, but what I am saying is that as a professional golfer, an elite player, you, in a perfect world, I'd love you to be understand what you're trying to do conceptually, but also still remain and be an artist. Yeah, That's very interesting. Yeah, there's so many... So many guys have tinkered their way over the course of history of golf, have tinkered their way out of a, being really nice players. Uh, the technique you were talking about there, you have to get back and balance everything because there's a lot of guys who want to go for the shot, but to get away from the technique is, has cost a lot of guys. Yeah, you can also look at the guys that had it and lost it. I mean, if you look at Porrick Harrington from Ireland, um, you know, there's a guy for, you know, two, three years, absolutely, I mean, you know, three majors in um, in two years and then kind of like gradually fell off a cliff. And it's no coincidence that during that, that two and a half, three year period, um, he had, you know, a lot of mental clarity and less technical thinking. But then, you know, on the other side of the coin, you can see how Tiger Woods from, you know, the, the debacle of the swing that he had, um, with his third coach, you know, now has got back to a hybrid of Hank and Butch. And thank God, you know, the guy's back and generating interest in the game again. So it's really, it's really what you need at the time. And players, when they get into, you know, trouble, that they go for something they simply don't need. And that's, that's the role of a good mentor and a coach and sort of like a game manager. And I think that's where the game is going to evolve into is you're going to have coaches as less um, in their roles as employees. And I think they're going to be brought in as, you know, every now and then sort of consultants rather than continually adding to the stimulus of the player. Um, I think that you're going to see a slight separation there and a slight change on, on, on tour teaching for sure. A little more self-sufficiency. Yeah, which a consultant breeds, um, yeah. as opposed to being a 24-hour minutia drip feed into the player's brain. You know, you're actually saying, no, well, here's your information. Go and process it. Let it percolate. Go and own it. And, you know, I'll be back in two or three weeks' time. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ, our interview with Nick Bradley, author, mentor, golf coach, motivator, uh, quite, a, quite an original thinker. Nick at BradleyPerformanceGroup.com. Nick at BradleyPerformanceGroup.com. You can find out more about his books and his availability as a speaker. Nick at BradleyPerformanceGroup.com. We'll be back with more from Nick next week. Again, you're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you. Thanks to our uh, guests, uh, Nick Bradley, uh, terrific uh, gentleman of golf and uh, entrepreneur, kind of uh, interesting, interesting man. So that's kind of fun. The Bowdens as well, Doc Bowden and Trip Bowden. You can get uh, Trip Bowden's book, uh, tripbowden.com, tripbowden.com. He'll, if you get it, he'll get you an autographed copy, which uh, is kind of nice. So check that out. And uh, the show available at uh, our Lakes, Woods, and Irons Facebook page. Uh, it's all over the place now. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like I'm always putting it somewhere. 
and lakeswoodsandirons.com. Right. So any of those locations as well. So uh, you can find the show there. Again, thanks to our guests. Uh, Chris, um, last segment we want to talk about uh, the rearranging of the tournament. All major sports are rearranging things and trying to save things, and uh, uh, especially the majors. People are interested in that. So let's uh, talk about that first. One gone, but the other three so far are on the books, and uh, hopefully we can have a pretty good major season at the end of the season this year. Yeah, absolutely. The, you know, the, unfortunately, they've, they've canceled the Open Championship, which is always my second favorite major behind the, behind the Masters. But, you know, it, 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 they're making a huge effort to save the rest of the majors and, and try to restart the t- tour in May. I'm, I'm not overly optimistic that, that we're going to be able to start the tour in May. But, you know, they've, they've rearranged the, the tour schedule where now the, the first event is going to be the PGA Championship, August 3rd through the 9th uh, in San Francisco at Harding Park. And then we'll have the uh, three FedEx Cup events and the, and the Tour Championship kind of in, in, uh, in four successive weeks. So August 10th, the Wyndham Championship in North Carolina. August 17th would start the Northern Trust in Boston. August 24th, the BMW Championship in Chicago at Olympia Fields. And then August 31st, the, uh, which is Labor Day weekend, the Tour Championship at, uh, at Eastlake in, in Atlanta. Then we get about a week break, and U.S. Open at Wingfoot, uh, September 14th through the 20th. Then we've got the Ryder Cup at the the date that it was scheduled, the 22nd through the 27th of September at Whistling Straits. Boy, that's going to be then, a huge uh, with the, with the U.S. Open the one week and the and the Ryder Cup starting a couple days later, or a few days later before they start play, yeah. but a couple days later with all the pomp and circumstance, et cetera. But man, that's going to be that's going to be golf heaven in September. Oh, it's it's going to be, a, it, you know, the golf season is going to be very condensed. Uh, but, gosh, if a guy gets hot, it's going to be incredible. That the, you know, somebody could go on a three, four tournament tournament streak and sure, uh, you know, kind of win everything if you if you peak at the right time. And so, yeah, it could be very exciting. And then then we've got about a month gr- break from major championship golf and uh the masters november 9th through the 15th and in augusta so you know hoping and hoping and praying that all comes to fruition but yeah uh, yeah exactly it it, uh uh, it could really be you know it's kind of the lost golf season at this point as far as is professional golf but could turn into be just uh, as as exciting as year as we've seen in our lifetime no kidding the uh, uh masters is interesting some of the old veterans who are in their long in the tooth, maybe their last few tries are going to get two masters in five months, which is kind of yeah. interesting. You get no, November 15th, it ends, and about April the 5th or 6th, probably the following year, it starts up again. So <laughs> it's a good opportunity. Who knows if Tiger's hot or, or uh, well, Phil's old now, he's going to be 50, but that's kind of his uh, a horse for horses for courses, as they say. So some of the old guys might like having a double opportunity in a short period of time. <laughs> oh yeah, you know it. Uh, uh, and you know if they they've been showing all these Masters highlights over the last week or so, and you know if if you look at some of the great rounds by older players, you know it, it's definitely a course where where an an older veteran player can win. If you go back to to Jack Nicklaus and Tom Watson made a great run and. And um, Ben Hogan made a great run in the late '60s, and 
you know, so it's it it, it could be a it could be a fantastic uh, finish and then start for next year. Yeah, yeah, I was just seeing. I think Jack won it in sixty three for the first time, and and uh, Sam Snead finished tied for third. He was uh, fifty years old or so, and uh, that's right. Yeah, he, he was right there, right. Well, right there, Tony Lima and Sam Snead and Jack, really. So, yeah, some of the some of the old veterans can maybe make a run. Have you played uh, Harding Park in San Francisco, the PGA course, Chris? I have not. Uh, It's not. I've played a few of the great golf courses in the San Francisco Bay Area, but Harding Park hasn't been one of them. It's it's a fantastic golf area. And then uh, Wingfoot, I was interested. I don't know if we've ever talked about that. It's a treacherous uh, track for golfers. <laughs> it's uh, U.S. Opens where people have finished over par at Wingfoot a couple different times. Yeah. The winners, it, uh, I mean. The winners, not just anybody. Right. It, it, it's one of the most difficult golf courses in the world, uh, but a very fair test. And, you know, when, when, when it's in championship condition, it's, uh, it's as good as a test as, as you'll find. And it's going to be a great venue for, for the U.S. Open. It'll be interesting to see it in, you know, in September as opposed to the typical June time frame. The daylight hours are going to be shorter in New York. They're going to have to do some things as far as uh, split tees go, which they never do in the, in the U.S. Open. And, um so it kind of it kind of changes the dynamics of the, how the feet, how the field is, and it maybe it eliminates some of the chance for bad weather and things like we've seen uh, last year at Shinnecock when we ha- when we had a one day where the weather was very calm in the morning and then changed dramatically in the afternoon. So you you might not run into kind of the luck of the draw as much, uh, w- you know, when we have smaller condensed hours to play golf sure yeah tito's handmade vodka sponsors our 19th hole and i'm thinking uh september and november there uh u.s open and then the Ryder cup and then the masters uh 19th hole might be on my living room couch on uh, saturday and sunday <laughs> all, th- right. all three of those weeks and uh and uh it's going to be fun i think if there's two events that could get into football's pocket it's the Ryder Cup and the Masters, and probably the U.S. Open as the third one. So it'll be interesting no to see how the uh, TV audience, because, I mean, I'm watching the Masters on Sunday. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll watch football most other Sundays, but and the, probably the Ryder Cup, too. Yeah, yeah, it'll, you'll, you'll have two TVs going back. <laughs> well, that, that <laughs> might be true. <laughs> All right. Another uh, week in the books. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in and uh, find us in lots of different places now. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ.